Welcome to the Expat Empire Podcast, the podcast where you can hear from expats around the world and learn how you can join them. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us today on the Expat Empire Podcast. Before we get to the interview, I want to remind you that we're offering a free 30-minute consulting call to anyone interested in moving abroad. Whether you're thinking about retiring somewhere warm, starting an international career, or becoming a digital nomad, we're ready to help you think through the next steps in your journey. Send us a message at expatempire.com to schedule your call today. With that said, let's start the conversation. Hey, Jess, thanks so much for joining us today on the Expat Empire podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. Well, I'd love to hear a little bit about your background to start us off. So where you're originally from, where around the world you've lived so far. I know that's a lot of places. And where you live right now. Sure. Yeah. No, I'll, I'll give you the super abridged version so we can also talk about something else. Um, I am originally from the suburbs of Chicago um, and I lived there until basically until college and then I left. Um, and when I was in college, I had to do a study abroad semester. I chose Costa Rica and I loved it. So I lived in Costa Rica for that semester and I thought I can't, I can't just like go back and pretend like this never happened. So I told my parents that I was going to take a semester off, which I don't think anyone was happy about or expecting because I was quite like a school person and I, I really, you know, enjoyed that part of it. So it was just a surprise. And I stayed for that semester life-changing um, time because I wasn't in school, but I, you know, I was volunteering teaching English. And during that time, I had a Spanish teacher. I was taking Spanish and he was Guatemalan. He said, go to Guatemala for Holy Week, Semana Santa. Um, you can't miss it if you're going to be here for that, if you're going to be in Central America. So I went to Antigua, Guatemala, blew my mind that a place like that existed. So I went back, graduated, immediately moved to Guatemala uh, as soon as I could. And then I lived in Guatemala for two years, Germany for three years, uh, the UK for four years. Then I traveled full-time for four years. And then through a very long series of events, ended up back in Chicago. Um, and now I actually live in New Jersey where I relocated because of the pandemic, but I was in Brooklyn for five years. Okay, amazing. So much for us to dive into there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a lot of a good lot stuff. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Um, so yeah, let's hear a little bit about maybe where your interest in going abroad originally came from. So it sounds like that first big experience was in Costa Rica for a study abroad, but where did that idea come in your head and, and how did the people around you think about it as well in terms of just, uh, you know, Costa Rica, are you sure? Or maybe just going abroad in general? Was that something that was in your family or something that you saw around you growing up? No. And I don't know where I got this from. My family is from the Midwest, um, n hasn't really left the Midwest. My mom grew up in Chicago, moved to the suburbs and, you know, she travels a lot now, but I actually think she caught the bug from me. So I don't know where I come from. Um, I'm also, I also speak German and Spanish fluently and definitely nobody in my family does that. So, um, I didn't have any influence there. No. Um, so I was, when I was a junior in high school, I got pretty good grades in high school, much better in college, um, but I was getting a C in Spanish and I just like could not get a C. That was like below what I could handle. Um, and I asked my teacher, you know, 
um, how can I possibly get an A? I just said an A. She said, it's impossible. You can't get an A. I said, what if I ace every test from here on out? She said, it's impossible. The only way you can get an A is if you also, if you ace every test, do all your homework and you host a Costa Rican um, for the exchange program. (laughs) So I was like, "Uh, mom, can I host a Costa Rican? And she surprisingly was like, yeah. So that was really cool. So um, Fabio came and stayed uh, with us, which was um, really fun. Blew my mind. I had never met someone so different before. I mean, just so different to who I was and also just like so nice. And all of them from the group were so nice. And so I think that's why my mom was actually okay with Costa Rica because, you know, she may not have known anything about Costa Rica before, but like knowing all these boys that came and they were just these wonderful beings that were not like American boys, like stupid and burping and whatever American boys do, you know, they were just so polite and respectful and wonderful. So I think she didn't have a a problem with me going at all. Um, But it was when he came that I had to use a language for real to like say things I wanted to say versus conjugating verbs out loud from a book. And that blew my mind. I was like, oh, this is the point. You know, you, you can miss that point easily if you don't understand that it's like to make jokes and connect and have fun. And so I realized I was like really good at it. And um, so that's why when I went to college, I had no idea what to do with my life and how can we be expected to um, at 18. But I knew I, know, I was really right. good at Spanish and I know I could be a, I knew I could be a Spanish teacher. So that's what I studied to be a to be a Spanish teacher. That's what my bachelor's is in. And it was mandatory as part of the program. You had to go to a Spanish speaking mm-hmm. country. So that's how I went abroad. Wow. Um, and, okay. you know, at the end of the day, people were OK with it. You know, my mom was I think she was fine with it. Mm-hmm. So do you look back at, uh, to, I believe, that high school teacher that gave you that ultimatum to get your A grade uh, as kind of the gateway into this career and this life and, and everything that's come from that? Or do you, I mean, of course, you can't give one person all the credit, but it sounds like that ended up playing a big role ultimately. You know, I didn't really think about that, but yeah, she, I definitely think her, but also we had the, there was a teacher in the department that was also my friend's mom, and she was a part of the whole exchange program, Mrs. Carp. Um, and I and I see her because she also came. So we completed the exchange. I did go to Costa Rica for three weeks in high school as well. And that, like, you know, blew my mind. Um, and so, you know, she was she was a real because she spoke Spanish. I never met like a grown up that spoke Spanish even. That's how sheltered I was, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah. um, that was really fun and interesting. I was like, oh, she's a teacher. She speaks Spanish. This is cool. And so I think Mrs. Carp probably had a lot to do with it. I've never, ever talked about her before. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good to give some people, yeah, a little shout yeah. out, especially so many years later, right? So um, then as you mentioned that being part of your university education and requirement for your degree how did you decide on Costa Rica as opposed to any other Spanish-speaking country? Was there something that was interesting to you or just the opportunity that was available to you at the time? You know, that's interesting. I felt like um, I, our, what my choices were basically, I think there were three programs, Mexico, Costa Rica, and Spain. For some reason, I had no interest in Spain. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was the other kids in my group that went to Spain and I was like not interested in them. Um, I'm not sure. And I had already been to Mexico technically on a vacation and I liked it, Mm -hmm. but I had also been to Costa Rica. And also because, you know, I had this connection with Fabio and all the others that I just, I just really wanted to go back, I think. Did you get a chance to meet any of them when you went back or did you still have those connections with them at all? No, I tried. I did. Um, And I actually think that I met up with 
one of the friends like one time. But you know how study abroad programs are? It's like the minute you get there, Mm -hmm. first of all, you're with like 30 Americans from, I was with 30 Americans from all over the country. So that was like also a whole nother experience. I hadn't met people from Texas and California and all these different types of people. So I was like so in that group right away that, I mean, I probably didn't think about anything else for like at least a month. I was just like so into the experience. Right, right. And so uh, it sounds like originally the plan was for one semester and it grew to a second semester. So what was your decision process like for that? I mean, sounds like an easy decision, perhaps, but there's I know for me when I did study abroad that there were so many things to consider in terms of, in my case, trying maybe trying to find a summer internship or um, I actually went in the spring semester. And so it would have been difficult to stay for an extra fall. But things like that, just what was your thought process and and you know, how did you even decide maybe to go back after two semesters? I don't know if you could have stayed for longer, but just curious on your thoughts. I mean, I could have stayed for longer, but I feel like I knew, I knew I had to graduate, you know, because once that's a slippery slope, like one semester is like fine, but you know, after that, I'm, I'm probably not going to go back to college. You know what I mean? So like, I knew I had to go back. Um, and I wanted to, you know, I wanted to get the degree, but, um, my, I met my best friend who's still my best friend now. She was part of the study abroad group, Tracy. And Tracy and I were like two peas in a pod right away. I think we met at the airport, literally like before the program even started, like she was at the airport. (laughs) And um, we were having this like similar feeling where we just couldn't imagine this being over. And because she also was feeling that way and we were vocalizing it together, it helped me. You know, I think we fed off each other, but it was just like, does this have to be over? Like, could we stay? And if we stayed, what would we do? And I think I knew that I had to um, like find an excuse. So what I did was I, mm-hmm. I, I researched and found a um, an advanced Spanish program where like my Spanish would get really good. And um, I could also through that program volunteer teaching English. And technically, you know, I was studying to be a Spanish teacher so I could get some teaching experience in there. And so I, I mm-hmm. found a way to do it. Um, had Tracy not also been convincing her parents at the same time, I don't know if I would have really, you know, had the nerve to do it. But I just knew, and I'm so glad I followed my gut because if I hadn't gone to Antigua, like my, I wouldn't have that whole thing. And I can't imagine, you know, where my life would be now. I just knew like, like what, there was nothing I was missing in the cornfield of Illinois at the University of Illinois. Like there was nothing <laughs> I was missing there. I, I was all good to stay, you know, and I just knew I followed my gut. I really did. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That tends to take us to good places, even if sometimes <laughs> you have to, um, you know, well, check it to make sure that it is leading you in the right direction. But usually that's right. a it's a good way to operate. Yeah, totally. And so then you went to Antigua, you thought this place is amazing. So what was it about there that really stuck out to you and thought and, and made you think this is where I need to be? I, I'm sure there's many aspects, but it's it's always interesting when we, you know, travelers or just uh, expats or whatever you want to call us, end up in a place where we really feel some connection to it. And I know I've had that a couple of times and now I've tried to live in those places. So curious on what was going through your head and what really hit your heart, I guess, about the place. Yeah. So Costa Rica I had gotten used to right by that point. I was there probably like six months or something in total before I got to um, Guatemala. And Costa Rica is completely different. Like you can, if you're young or just you don't know and it's easy for you to stereotype, Central America or Latin America can all be one thing. Like it could be, in your mind, Mexico. Like it's really easy to just simplify things that way. And I wasn't doing it 
consciously. But Costa Rica is a specific type of place. You have People are relatively light skinned. There is no, you don't come across people in indigenous dress. There, there are still some, you know, indigenous programs, but like you don't come across it on the street. People aren't wearing the indigenous like clothes in, in Costa Rica. And there are really interesting cultural things in Costa Rica where, you know, the, the, um, Caribbean side is um, mostly black and the rest of the country is more uh, mestizo or whatever. And those were really interesting mm-hmm. history lessons for me, blew my mind about why that was. And I, I loved learning about that. Mm-hmm. And when I got to Guatemala, I don't know what I was expecting, but whoa, there was a whole separate set of circumstances there. I mean, when I got to, first I went to Tikal to the, to the ruins, um, the Mayan ruins. And that just was like, I didn't know about the Mayans in that way, like seeing all that history and understanding mm-hmm. the significance of it. And then getting to Antigua and you had, and I didn't know, I didn't know about backpackers. I just didn't know about vagabond, mm-hmm. dirty backpackers. And I wanted to be one right away. Like, so I got to Antigua and there were little, little, you know, indigenous women wearing the full on, uh, you know, traje indígena and the, and the men also, you know, had this very specific way of dressing and they would be walking down the street with, you know, I remember seeing like an eight foot tall Swedish guy or, you know, he had to be Swedish or something or, you know, Norwegian and he was white, you know, and had blonde hair and they were sharing the streets. And it was because, you know, Antigua is really like a crossroads for backpackers. And I was like, well, there is a lot more going on here than I realized. And it was a world I wanted to be in. But also in Antigua, you can see there's a volcano right in front of you. It's called Agua. It does not erupt. And then there's a volcano, you know, over to the side of you that is called Fuego and it's always erupting. And I just had Mm. never, I mean, the, the actual earth felt significant to me there in a way. I mean, obviously Costa Rica has jungle, but that's so different. And man, everything Mm. about it, it just blew my mind. And then the culture, I went for Semana Santa. And that is just an amazing procession. So seeing that as well, I mean, it was just the whole world, I feel like, came alive to me at that point. Wow. So it sounds like culturally, uh, I mean, I guess, broadly speaking, culturally, it really hit you and it was just grabbed you and and you didn't want to leave. No, I mean, I remember learning at that point that in Guatemala, they speak 33 languages. And I was like, what do you mean? (laughs) You don't just speak Spanish, you know? And then I remember having to, there was a woman selling me something and she didn't even speak Spanish. And like the, that Mm. never occurred to me that she might speak some, you know, other like more indigenous language. And the fact that I had to be like cuatro and like show her my own fingers and be like four, (laughs) like that, I I mean, everything about it was just so new and different that I just, yeah, I was also really young. So everything new is what I wanted right away. Right. Of course. So you come back from that experience, you come back from two semesters in around Costa Rica, and then how do you end up making that move to Guatemala following your graduation? Was there any special uh, route or, or, you know, how did you support yourself? How did you make it happen? How long between graduation and when you went there? Just give us the the play by play. Yeah, I got some graduation money, you know, as you hopefully do. Mm-hmm. And you don't, you know, this was also a while ago, you know, I can admit how long ago, but like quite some time ago now. Mm-hmm. And um, so things were cheaper even than they are now. But um, I got some, some graduation money. I worked that summer. Um, I had always been like a day camp counselor. So I was just a day camp counselor that summer. And then in August, I just, I just went, um, I didn't have a job. I wasn't really worried. I knew how cheap it was. Um, Tracy, 
uh, had gone before me because she's actually one and a half years older. I like to emphasize the half. She's way mm. older than me. <laughs> um, and Tracy had already gone. So she graduated. Her she, she took the semester off. She did a whole bunch of summer courses and graduated. And then she actually moved down like maybe nine months before me. Um, mm. So I just moved in where she was living with, with the people that she was living with. So that was nice. But I could have lived in a, in a hostel or something and figured it out. And then I just started trying to find a job teaching English, which I knew that I would do. I'd use my degree and mm-hmm. teach English. Um, and it took about it took about a month. And I will date myself just to tell this part of the story. But my job interview at the school that I actually ended up working at was actually on September 11th, 2001. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I was supposed to mm-hmm. have this interview with this, um, the American co-director because it was a bilingual school. And she was just like, sorry, I can't talk. There's something going on. The Twin Towers have been hit. And then she ran away. And I was like, I hope I got the job. And then I went home and I was like, oh, this is a obviously a humongous deal that I didn't recognize. So yeah. And then I got right, a job. Right. I did a bunch of private classes, you know, and w- within a few months I had pretty much everything sorted out. So how did your time there evolve over those two years? Of course, it sounds like you had a relatively easy landing. You got things set up after a couple months. Um, but yeah, maybe just tell us a bit about those two years and what might've changed in terms of your friend group or what you were doing with your time. I mean, did you get a chance to really integrate more into the society there? Or were you traveling every weekend? Just, just let us know how it was. Yeah. You know what? It was really interesting. So I would say that no, in Guatemala, I actually did not integrate the way that I, looking back now, would have wanted to. I got so wrapped up. I lived with, because for me, what happened was I moved to Antigua. I moved into this house and all of a sudden we're like the real world Antigua. Like I had, there was a guy from Norway. There was a woman from Germany. There was a a guy from Canada. Um, the, The woman who owned the house, she was from El Salvador. Um, and we just had a blast all the time. I love these people. Everyone was so different. Um, Tracy lived there as well, obviously. And so we just, I mean, I went out a lot. Uh, I was very active in the mm-hmm. evenings, you could say. Uh, had a blast mm-hmm. uh, there. Um And then I also met my first girlfriend. I had never had a girlfriend before. And I met her there. And she was German. Um, And she spoke perfect English. I didn't really even register that she was German. But she worked at a German bar. So then we would always go to this German bar, which I knew nothing about Germany. I was really just so undereducated, I have to say. Um, (laughs) But I went to this German bar. And now I'm hanging out with like these old scraggly German dudes who had been living in Guatemala for like, you know, 20 years or something or longer. And it was just that usurped my experience. We traveled a lot. We went all around Guatemala. We, you know, took, there's a, there's a bus. I don't know if it still runs called the Tika bus, which goes back and forth uh, up and down Central America. And so you can go from, for example, Guatemala to Costa Rica takes three days. And we did that a couple of times, you know, three days down, and then you're there for two weeks and then three days back. It's like a whole thing. Um, And technically at the school where I taught English, I was a volunteer. It was very covert. They paid us into a bank account, but I, you know, we still had to do the visa runs. Mm. So every 90 days I had to leave and, you know, go to a different country, you know, because technically I didn't uh, work there, um, which was fine. I mean, that was always fine. And, um, you know, so my friend group, you know, it changed because everyone's from somewhere else, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. But the other thing that was a little bit difficult in Guatemala for me was that I don't know what I 
I don't know how I could have connected better, but I definitely felt like the 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 locals that I was meeting were either like they all ran some kind of like either a bar, a restaurant, or a school, but they mm-hmm. I just couldn't really like connect in the way that I wanted to. And maybe that's because I, my focus was elsewhere, but I, yeah, I definitely didn't like culturally like integrate the way that I could have, but Antigua is also a really special place, but their there focus is a lot on tourism. And so there's just so much opportunity. I met backpackers from all over the world. In fact, I learned more about Israeli culture living in Antigua mm-hmm. than I could have ever, you know, than I learned maybe about Guatemalan culture, honestly. So it was a, a crossroads for, for all these different cultures. Yeah. And so after two years, I, um, I ended up going back to the States for a little while to work. And then my girlfriend from there, we went, we moved to Germany then after that. How, how did the timing on that work out? I mean, it sounds like indeed that was the plan that you had, but was there sort of a discussion of, Two years, maybe that's enough time here in Guatemala, or was were there other factors at play that ended up having you both move to Germany? Oh, there were lots of factors. First of all, plan mm-hmm. is a very generous word. I was a total <laughs> yeah. like ping pong. Uh, what do you call it? A, a pinball. I was just like bing, 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 mm-hmm. like bouncing off the sides of whatever I hit. You know, I mean, but no, my my mom was sick. Actually, my mom uh, had kidney mm-hmm. disease, and so she was getting a transplant that summer. So I did go home to like help take care of her. And then, but also, I mean, that was obviously a a big part of it. Um, My girlfriend and I were kind of, we were so young and dumb and like off and on. And so I think we had like technically broken up at the time for a minute. Um, And also though, I think we both realized like we were also so poor. Like I made $250 a month. So why save it? Like there was, I could have saved because my rent was really cheap. You know, my rent was like $100 or something because we split a house. And my expenses were super low. But like, why save the extra 20 bucks, you know, uh, over a year? Like, what is, you know, how much money is that? So we just realized like we were just never, I could never even fly. Like I was using that graduation money to fly home, to buy plane tickets home. I mean, it wasn't sustainable no matter what. I knew I didn't want to live there. You know, it's, it's not easy living. I mean, it might be a little bit easier now, but it's also, you know, it was, I was never going to make a lot of money. You know, I wasn't, and not, not that I need a lot, but like, I was never going to make a livable wage to be someone who needed to keep flying home to visit. Um, and so I think, you know, all signs really right. pointed toward this is a temporary experience for me right now. Yeah. But, you know, because I already dated myself, there was no like working online. Like I couldn't, you know, the internet was like, right. I, I literally worked at an internet cafe where people would go to check their in, their email. You know what I mean? So like there was no, I wasn't running an online right. business. It, so you know, that, that was what I was going to earn basically. Yeah, absolutely. So then in terms of deciding that it would be Germany, that was just based on your girlfriend's desire or, or interest or willingness to go back to Germany, I guess. Yeah. And she would have been in the States, but like, we were not going to sit there and figure out immigration policy. You know, that just seemed so hard. You know, she was a bartender in Guatemala. I'm not sure there was like a visa available for her (laughs) unique talent at pouring German beer, you know? (laughs) Right, right. Then so you moved to Germany and, uh, you know, didn't have a ton of money from that time that you spent in Guatemala and you don't speak German. And, you know, you're going with a relationship and just tell me kind of what was going through your mind and what how you sort of planned. I know, again, plan is maybe a strong word, but just just thinking through kind of that big jump, because it sounds from the outside like it was 
quite a big leap, but maybe it was just the most obvious thing for you to do at the time. So <laughs> would no, love it was a it. huge leap. You know what? It was really big. And of course, with hindsight, looking back, it was even bigger. I knew so little about Germany at the time that I had done. There was a project in my class in Guatemala where I can't even remember what the project was, but the kid, a kid, a student of mine had drawn a map and he had gotten the map from an old like encyclopedia or something, and it still had East and West Germany. So when he drew the map, he actually drew mm. East and West Germany. And one of the moms was so – this was like one of the last days of school. And one of the moms was so mad that I would hang that up. But I was like, well, I just want to present the work because it's the last day of school. And I just want him to feel special. And she was like, there is no more East Germany. The wall fell, you know, however long ago. And like I didn't even really know any of that stuff. You know what I mean? Like I didn't even really know. Right. And so that was like a really, you know, that was really, that just goes to show you, you know what I mean? How, how little I knew it was, it was pretty bad. It was pretty bad. <laughs> but then I guess you learn, you learn that pretty quickly, right? I mean, I also had that experience in Germany where I didn't know the history that well. And then to find out the difference between the East and the West Germany, especially living in a city like Berlin and people still talking about the differences, even, I don't know, 30 30 years after, I guess, the wall fell, something like that. And it's just, it, it was interesting to me. Like I was on, it, there's almost that part of me where I thought it's like, guys, you know, that's old history now, but it's still very relevant, still very real, oh, still very, you know, like so much. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And that was really part of it for me. I ended up moving to East Germany and I didn't even know that's where I was moving, but I moved straight up to Erfurt, which is the capital of Thuringia, which was the, you know, definitely East Germany. And so, you know, as an American moving to East Germany, that was like, I had so many lessons to learn for sure. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, so I got to to Erfurt, which was, of course, a city I had never heard of. Um, I didn't know anything. I didn't speak any German. Um, but I wasn't really that nervous because, you know, I think this is something you and I have discussed before. But, you know, once you move abroad once, going to the second or the third country, it's you have a skill set that, you know, really only applies to that specific situation, which is you can just get up and move uh, pretty easily and you you know that nothing's forever in a way that when it's your first time, it feels so much bigger. So for me, it was like, if this doesn't work out, I'll find an alternative. I can always, I knew I could go to Costa Rica. I knew I could go to Guatemala. I knew I could go home. You know, there were lots of options. So I didn't feel so nervous. But when I got there, I realized that I read, I know nothing about Europe. Like I didn't take European history. Mm -hmm. I had only learned about Latin America in college. And so it was pretty mind blowing to arrive in this place. I love it. I love learning. So I just chewed it all up, but it was stressful. It wasn't super easy. Um, if it, it was big. Yeah. And it sounds like through your Spanish, you were able to get really good at that. And maybe would you consider yourself a language learning person in terms of that being a, an area of passion for you or something that you're particularly good at, or is that something that you just learned out of kind of, I mean, an interest, but also necessity? Well, it's interesting. Um, when you say necessity, I will say that my I studied Spanish. Mm -hmm. I lived in two countries. I, you know, studied to teach it. I know the grammar, but man, am I better at German? I can laugh mm -hmm. in German. I can have fun in German. I feel much more comfortable in German. N most people wouldn't think like, oh, German. I'm sure that's easier than Spanish. And the reason why is because I needed it. And when you need right. it it bakes into a deeper level. Um, so that's for sure. Mm -hmm. Necessity definitely helps when it comes to language learning. 
I, I, I ask a lot of questions around um, language learning because I studied to be a language teacher. And when I became mm-hmm. fluent in German without taking a class, I quit. I quit teaching. I went and got a master's degree because I kind of realized that the way we teach languages is wrong. And it, I didn't like it anymore because I knew that, you know, unless you can really create incentive and need, and you can't do that in traditional language learning, you know, it's very much like, here's a book, like memorize the grammar. Um, and so, yeah, that, you know, learning languages, it, it comes naturally to me for, I think two reasons. One, I'm super curious I love to make connections. Mm. You know, when I realized that um, Latin, which I don't speak and I don't want to learn, but when I realized that Latin was the root (laughs) of like several languages, I realized that I could figure out, you know, I could muddle my way through French or Italian because of these similarities that all come from Latin. And I loved learning that stuff. With German, you know, I put together clues and I was a detective and I was Mm. willing to make mistakes and sound really dumb. And I think that's the other factor. You have to be really curious and you have to be willing to sound like an idiot. And if you are, which I am, you can get much more fluent much (laughs) more quickly. Yeah, I think that's the best way to do it is definitely to jump in with both feet and be willing to make mistakes. Uh, I think that's also the hardest thing for most of us to do. (laughs) I can put myself in that boat. Yeah, no, it's not easy at all. And I will say, look, when I lived in Germany, and I'm sure we'll talk about my time there, I actually did go to the doctor once for like a stress test because I was having these like chest pains. And it was because Mm. I was, I was under a lot of stress, you know, like it was, it's great now in hindsight, really proud of myself and stuff. But like at the time it takes its toll. It's not always easy. It was hard. Um, And, you know, there's nothing wrong with me and that was fine. Um, But, Mm -hmm. you know, it, it was definitely, um big. There's a lot of factors. And so, yeah, it was hard, but at the same time, it's literally the only way that you can become fluent. Yeah. Yeah. So how long would you say it took you to become, uh, I guess, to get to a level of fluency where maybe you're not at your peak or you could always be better or this or that, but that get, got you around comfortably day to day? So I would say within six months, I could do all of the normal stuff, like go to the grocery store and you know, as long as I could anticipate the majority of the interactions, you know, it would be fine. Um, but at a party or something, I everyone had to speak mm-hmm. English or I would just go sit in a corner. Um, yeah. <laughs> after a year, I think I was, I was definitely missing a lot of words, but fluent. And two years is when I was just like straight up hanging out, not even thinking about it, dreaming in German, you know, preferring German, you know, that sort of thing. That's great. That's great. And it's good to hear that you're able to laugh in German as well. <laughs> I don't know if that's always the connection most people make with German. So <laughs> it's good to no, hear that. I know. There's a, you know what's fun? For me, what was really fun about Germany was Germans know that they're so German. I mean, mm-hmm. people who have a sense of humor about themselves. I mean, obviously the really serious ones get offended, but like Germans know that they're ridiculous in certain ways. And like, you can really kind of poke fun at the germ, like the really German things that they do and also poke fun at their language. Cause you can, German's such a, such an interesting language where you, you build off these, as long as you know, a bunch of really small words, you can build them together and, and mm-hmm. that's how you get larger words. Um, but you can play with that. You can, you can be silly, you can play dumb and they, they are very self-aware at their Germanness, And so that was a way that I was able to fit in where I, I wasn't so German, but I could still like really like dovetail this like personality that I kind of developed. But yeah, I could be funny. And, and you know, as long as they're cool, they, they really get it. They get it. That's great. 
And uh, I believe there you were basically working as an English teacher as well. So how did you get those jobs straight away? And what would you recommend ultimately for people that, of course, if they speak English, maybe that's a great option. But what about for non-native speakers of English? Because for me as well, it's, uh, you know, I get a number of questions from different people all over the world saying, what could I do online or what can I do easily to get me to this country or that country? And it's so easy to say English teaching, but if they're not a native speaker of English or, you know, they're not at that level of C2 level or whatever the requirement is to be able to do that, it becomes a little bit harder to give those recommendations. So if you have any thoughts, I'd love to hear them. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yes, of course. I uh, went to um, Berlitz. It was on like the town square. It was right there. I went there. Um, I had a couple of different interviews at language schools, but Berlitz only hires native speakers. And so because they only hire native speakers, they get a lot of visas issued because that's sort of mandatory um, that comes with it. And so, yeah, I got a job teaching at Berlitz. Um, I only got, it was like 20 hours to start and the pay wasn't like amazing. And so I also ended up getting a job at another language school, which I was able to do because I had the visa through Berlitz. The visa allowed me to teach English. It did not specifically specify Berlitz, which was really lucky actually. Um, Mm. And so I was Mm -hmm. able to teach at both. Um, And then both of my schedules filled up. The two schools were about a hundred meters apart, which I didn't realize how lucky that was at the time. So Mm -hmm. I would schedule like three classes at Berlitz and then run over in five minutes and teach like a half a day over there and then do night classes at Berlitz. I mean, I taught all the time. Um, My schedule was so full. Yeah. So within about three months, I had two like very full-time jobs. Um, Berlitz is a great option. um, Or if there are other schools that are similar, I'm not sure, but the reason why Burles is great is you only have to be a native speaker and have a bachelor's degree in literally anything. And the lessons are already planned. Mm. You adding your own flourish mm. is fine, but not even necessary or expected. You pretty much follow there because they have a, this immersion method that they do. And so you literally, it's like word for word, if you want it to be, um, so you don't have to have any teaching experience and you don't have to do lesson plans and all that stuff. Now, um, if you are a non-native speaker, I will say Berlitz is still a good option. Language schools are still a good option depending mm-hmm. on what language you do speak because, you know, um, I taught a lot of CEOs or C-suite executives because they need to learn the language where they do business. And Germans do business around the world. And so you might, you know, especially Spanish, right. but also Japanese. There were definitely some uh, my CEOs were taking both English and Japanese classes at the same time. Um, but yeah, you know, it just depends on the industry and the city where you live. Yeah, it's very ambitious. Um And so (laughs) that's teaching is still an option for sure. Um, But Germany has some visas, you know, there's the the freelancer visa that exists. um, Mm -hmm. And in Berlin specifically, I believe Berlin specifically has the artist visa that goes along with that freelancer visa, you know, where if you're a working artist, you can get a year long visa. And, um, and that's, those are the two, the main visas are, you know, if you can provide a service that no German can provide, and that's the real difficulty. Mm-hmm. That's why teaching is such an option because being a native speaker, you are better. So mm-hmm. you get that job. You have the advantage. And then the freelancer visa is good. So basically you just kind of have to prove like I run, for example, a social media marketing agency. I have three German clients who are interested in working with me. I can do business here. And then you you know, you know prove that and you can right. um, get a visa it works. Um, there are other visas that you can get for Germany. Um, you can get hired by a German company and, and things like that. But those are obviously more difficult to get. But Germany, even though it's very 
rule-driven and very organized. Um, and mm. also all the paperwork is in German, which sucks. Um, cause German visa yeah. and tax is very hard language to, to learn or decipher. Um, but you can get it. Um, you can definitely get it. There are, there are definitely options for Germany, which are, which can be easier than some other European countries. So it, it's a good place to start. Yeah, absolutely. So how did you decide then after three years that it was time to go back and get your master's degree? Because I kind of saw what I did every day as a little bit of a farce. I, you know, I was teaching English, which it's, it, there's nothing to be said for, you know, people who, who are teachers, obviously you should be a teacher. I was frustrated because I loved Germany and, you know, looking back, I'm mm. surprised I left. I mean, it was really where I came into my own. Mm. I was 23 to 26 there. My entire worldview was formed when I was there. Like my political opinions and my knowledge of history and all that happened in those years when I lived there. Um, I loved it there, but Germans like to learn by the book. They like to mm. open a book and do grammar because to them, they feel like they're doing something. And that was really hard for me because I knew it was like I was teaching that way because that's the way they want to learn. But I was the one who, who three years ago couldn't say anything except for, uh, beer, you know, and then, mm. you know, order a beer. Um, and yeah. now I'm, I'm hanging out with my students who are my age on the weekend in German because you're not learning, but I am. And there's a reason why I'm learning and you're not. And it's because right. unless you need it, you're not going to learn it. And my only students that I ever had that had the most success were these older students. They were all, I mean, I'm older now. I bet looking back, they were probably my age, but they felt <laughs> so old. Sure. Um, they were unemployed, you know, and in Germany, there's a lot of programs for unemployed mm. people and they were unemployed. And in order to get their, their money, their monthly uh, money from the government. They had to take English and then they had to do kind of like a work abroad program. So they all went to English speaking countries for three months. Mm. Well, guess who came back fluent? I would, these people who would be like, mm. hello, Jessica, and could not speak any English to start came back and were speaking English to me, you know? And it's like, what yeah. am I doing? I just, I just felt for me, it was, it was tough. I was starting to feel this like sort of, maybe it was an existential quarter life crisis or something. Um, at the same time, I was also very aware because this was when this was around the time that um, so like George Bush was reelected, Hurricane Katrina happened. There were these things where I was seeing them mm. through the German media filter and my American friends were seeing it only through American breaking news filters. And I started to become aware of media right. literacy. And I, I just realized I, I wanted to be on the, I wanted to learn more about that. And that was really important to me. And so um, I did a, a certificate in Germany in intercultural business communication, which helped me understand intercultural communication, which I had never focused on before. And then, so I got a, I went to the University of Sussex in England, actually, and I got a, a master's in media and culture studies because that's, I just knew that that was something that was a lot richer for me at the time to understand. Um and I didn't see where English teaching was really going to take me, you know. Right, right. No, that makes sense. In terms of the decision to go to Sussex, then obviously different programs have different opportunities and maybe that was the best fit for you. But did you consider other countries or even for that matter, staying somewhere inside of Germany or was it, hey, this is my opportunity to get to yet another country and have another adventure? No, I think I was glad they spoke English because so I did that um the, the certificate, the intercultural communication certificate, I did it in German-ish. So I learned in German and then I was able to write my papers in English because like I didn't have that level of German, like academic German, which is surprisingly difficult. 
Um, mm-hmm. but, but I knew that it was really hard, especially because, you know, you, you have these grooves in your brain where you're taking in this like very interesting information in German and then having to write it in English. It was, it was really hard for me to process and like do that and, and, and communicate and articulate my ideas that way. So I thought, okay, I, I'll try and do a degree in English. Now there are universities in Germany that I could have studied at and they were cheaper because they mm-hmm. were like free. Or whatever. Right, right. Um, I don't know. I don't know why in the end I decided to go for Sussex, but I did. I went, I went and did a whole tour in England and looked at like six or seven universities there. I just really liked Brighton where I would be living. Um, there was something about London at the time I wasn't ready for. Of course I moved there after, but I, I just wasn't ready for such a big city at the time. Um, I loved Brighton. It was on the water. It just, it just kind of felt right. Yeah. And so I applied for that program and I got in and I went there. So after that, it sounds like indeed you did end up in London. So how did your opinion change about maybe the timing or what you wanted out of the next location? And I mean, of course, London's where the opportunities are. I mean, you know, by and large, of course, there's plenty of other places, great cities as well. But, you know, London's the most kind of obvious choice for, I guess, getting your your career in the UK. But just curious on uh, how you came around on that, because I feel like from my perspective, I went big city, big city, you know, Tokyo and Berlin. And now I'm in a very small city. So I kind of feel like I went the opposite direction. So I'm curious on your thoughts. Yeah, London was interesting. So basically, when I was in Brighton, um, there aren't a lot of jobs. And I wanted to do an internship. And I got an internship um, at the at Visit Brighton. Visit Brighton is the tourism board for Brighton and Hove. So I got an internship there. And through that connection, I ended up getting a job. I had a job interviewing a job at Visit England, which was in London. Um, somebody connected me. So um, I, I kind of just took that opportunity as soon as I graduated. Um, and I went there. But but partially because I started to, you know, at that point, I was a little bit older. And I had, I had this sort of past experience now. And it, I realized that it was all related to either travel or expat life. And so when it came to media and the type of media that I wanted to do... PR jobs were everywhere. There were PR jobs, you know, everywhere. Mm. And, and of course, in London, there are thousands of PR jobs or communications roles. And I needed a job, but I, I definitely wanted to stay in the travel uh, sector because I just realized, like, that's the sum of my life so far. There's all kinds of stuff in there, t- teaching, you know, you know, whatever. But, but the travel piece, or at least the seeing the world piece, was what I wanted to bring in to the next job. So yeah, so I got a job at Visit England. Um, and then that was, that kind of carried me through my London life. I, I, I visit England and visit Britain are the same offices. One just focuses on international Mm. attractions and uh, attracting Mm. international visitors. And one focuses on domestic, but I worked at both, uh, throughout those three years. And, um, and then I did a a little stint at Rosetta Stone, which I did not enjoy, Mm. uh, back to the language (laughs) learning thing. Um, but I did. Um, and so, yeah, but I, I really focus on travel and the media. I mean, I worked in media. I did, I hosted international press a lot of the time, did things like that. Right. And how did you find the life there? I mean, it sounds like it was great from a professional perspective. It gave you that, you know, opportunity for those three years, but did you ever consider that as, as the spot that you would, I don't know, set down some roots or something like that, or it was always just a stepping stone to the next opportunity? No way. I didn't know. Like I, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. I didn't have like um, 
for sure the plan, you know, like I didn't, but I just, London never felt like home to me. I loved certain things about London. I mean, the center of the universe, people from every edge of the planet live there. And I lived among them. I mean, you know, I lived in, um, Edgware Road, which, you know, I was talking about this the other day, but like I had never come across like so many different ways to, to, to be culturally in, 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 in Edgware Road. There was like literally every single culture all in one place. Um, it was amazing. And, you know, then I, I moved to Shepherd's Bush, another area. Um, and it was like all Australians. Why all Australians live in Shepherd's Bush? I don't know, <laughs> but they do. Um, maybe it's because it says the bush and they're used to that from Australia. And so they live there. I don't know. Um, but they're everywhere. And so there was just like all these like cultural nuances that were fascinating. Um, it's funny though, in London, I actually kind of like became more American in a way because I think of it like this, like chords in music, right? Like there was something about like German and American that made like a nice chord. We were just different enough, but similar enough that we sounded good together. I felt good there. In London, for mm. some reason, like British and American for me, the, the strings were too close together. The notes were too close. It was discordant. Mm. It didn't sound right for me. It didn't feel good. I, I hated, I understood the language, but I didn't know what any of it meant. I mispronounced things all the time. People made mm. fun of my Americanness. I mostly lighthearted ways, but I mean, Brits are Brits and, you know, they have a dry sense of humor and I don't, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm really like, I'm really like earnest and like, you know, excited and vulnerable and right. British people are, are sort of the opposite. And so there were all these little things where it's like so close, but I didn't really fit. So yeah, so I don't, I knew it wasn't forever. And, um, you know, actually the pay is really low. Um, and so I was never yeah. going to like, again, yeah. I was never going to, for for what it was worth, my rent was so high and, you know, costs were so high. It was just not, not sustainable for me forever. I'm not sure who it's sustainable for forever, but maybe that's a separate conversation. It's just, well, I, did in move terms to Bro- of the I have lived part. in Brooklyn as well. Yeah. I, yeah, true, true. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good point. But uh, it sounds like then eventually your, your, you know, working experience there came to a wrap for one reason or another, and you decided to go off and, essentially be a digital nomad. I guess that's the right term for it. So would love to hear about that, you know, how you decide basically to make that jump, what was involved in that. And especially as a travel blogger, what, you know, what, uh, how, how you did it, because I think so many people are trying to figure out a way to make that work, right? Yeah, it's hard. Um, so basically, you know, at Visit Britain, Visit England, I was dealing with a lot of uh, press. And a lot of what you do uh, is you pre-write a lot of material and you provide it to the press. It could be in press releases or just providing paragraphs and all that stuff. And I, and I had a newsletter uh, that was called the what's hot newsletter and it went to all the media um, around the world that were on our list. And I would, you know, keep everyone informed of like all these awesome, you know, underground things that were happening in the UK, especially in London, but all around, actually all around the UK, because that's what we did. And I loved, I loved it, you know, finding this stuff out and writing about it and all this stuff. And then like I would open you know, a German newspaper, a Sunday travel section or a British newspaper and like word for word what I had written. No offense to the journalist, but like so close to what I wrote would show up in the paper. And I was like, well, if I'm good enough to see my, some of my words in print, let's be real. Maybe I I, I like this part of the media. Maybe I want to be producing the media rather than supplying it. I mean, the international press visits person that I was there, 
the job was rad. We got to go all around the UK. I hosted journalists from everywhere. <laughs> I mean, spe- I got to like speak German all the time, Spanish, and like show them all these cool things. It was awesome. Every time a new hotel opened, like when the Beatles hotel opened or whatever, like it was, it was awesome. It's a silly, fun, amazing job. Um, but I was like, I'm writing this stuff and I love writing. I mean, I had always loved it. And um, it had always uh, stuck in my head. Langston Hughes, um, in his autobiography, he he talked about how he just wanted to make a living from writing. And and when I read that, I think mm. I was like 20 and I was like, it always stuck in my mind. I'll make a living from writing. It's like amazing. Mm. And so I thought, uh, let's let's have a go at this. Um, and my girlfriend at the time and I, we she was a photographer, like, pr- you know, amateur. And I was an amateur writer. Um, but at the same time that all this was swirling through my head, we also learned about house sitting. There was an article in The Guardian mm-hmm. um, about this British couple who had uh, house sat, um, a house in Tuscany, which I did end up doing in the future. And I was like, <laughs> so they lived there for free. They didn't pay rent. They made money because at this time there was the internet and you could do that. Um, and it all just sounded right. right. So, you know, like just how dominoes fall. Um, one thing led to another and like, yeah, we founded a, a blog and, um, got a house sitting gig in LA, got some really cheap plane tickets over from the UK. And then from there, just, yeah, four years of, of digital nomading, you know, in terms of like how we actually made money, that was tough. Um, we took a lot of freelance work. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of different freelance clients, writing clients and things like that. Um, trying to make a go at making a living from writing. Um, the blog didn't start to make money for a long time. And I'm not sure you could even do the same today. I think a lot of people put their energy into mm-hmm. like having Instagram, uh, accounts, you know, mm-hmm. being influencers and things like that. Um, we were not, not influencers in that way. Um, but you know, definitely made at the end of the day enough money to live which is all we really wanted because it sustained that. Mm-hmm. Um, but but there was a lot of, I did a lot of outside work to like keep that going, all related. Um, but I would say that the, the the website itself probably was like 70% or so of my income. And in terms of the content that you were putting there, was it about your travel experiences or how, how did you uh, make it maybe different or for that matter, the same as other successful blogs out there? Yeah, I wouldn't say different. The only thing that was different was that we were two women in a relationship traveling together. So we got pigeonholed a lot into like the LGBT travel space, which is fine. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I was always like a little hot cold on that because it's like you're supposed to find your unique selling point, And that was definitely ours, but nothing I did felt particularly gay at any time. You know, I wasn't like, oh, we went to see a pyramid. <laughs> I felt so gay there. Like that just wasn't, it, I didn't feel that right. way. And so <laughs> I, I just run hot and cold on on that specific niche in that way. But so, yeah, I mean, I think to, to differentiate differentiate ourselves. That was, that was definitely part of it. Um, the other thing is like, I think that the, the, what we tried to do was longer form, very informative. And I wanted you to be able to trust us. Like if we did a hotel review, it -hmm. was because we stayed there and we would give honest opinions. There were times we did not publish a review. Like there were times where a hotel hosted us Mm -hmm. and I said, you're not going to want me to put this out. Like I'll review the restaurant instead because it was good. Um, but I, you know, I, you're not going to want me to say what I think about the hotel. So honesty, <laughs> I feel was a, was a big right. uh, part of it. Um, and it made it mattered. And so we were, I think we were pretty truthful on that front. Yeah, that's great. And did you do uh, many house sitting experiences after that? Or was that kind of just the beginning? Uh, how, did you use it to get around essentially? Uh, yeah, I did 18 house yeah. sits over four years. Uh, I wrote a book on it uh, called Break Free, The Ultimate Guide to House Sitting. And uh, yeah, I would recommend house sitting to anyone all the time. Oh yeah, it is. um, 
it is such an awesome way to see the world. A, you don't pay rent. B, you, mm-hmm. um, you get, it's like, think about it. So I did two months living in a small town on the beach called Ishkalak, Mexico. You've never heard of it. You've never been there. But an American has a house there. What kind of an American has a house in Ishkalak, Mexico? Well, I got to meet that person as well as take care of his house. You know, you meet the, the people who have the time to go away for two or three months at a time. Those are pretty interesting people who live, you know, against the grain. Like even the people that you meet are so awesome. So you know, free rent. Awesome. The houses are usually really nice. You get to have pets because when you travel, you can't have a pet. And so it's nice to like have pets for a small amount of time. I definitely cried a lot when I left some of the pets because I love them so much. Um, (laughs) And it is, it's a way to also like, I did a house in Malaysia, you know, in Kuala Lumpur, way outside Mm. of the city center in a high rise for two Canadians that went home. I never would have seen that part of Malaysia, but like I have memories of like the parking lot of the building and just like seeing signs there. I know that's so silly, but like I mean, you couldn't be more integrated, you know, such a different way to see real life abroad. Yeah. And I love just this idea of there being this option that I'm sure not a lot of people are aware of, or of course, the people that are in the know are in the know, but I think it uh, it deserves to be, you know, shared more and given as an opportunity and option for people. So I'm really glad that you brought it up. Yeah. Well, also, I would like to point out that the other thing that house sitting does is show you that you can trust people. Hmm. And people can trust you and you don't have to be afraid of strangers and you can live in someone's house for three months and like, that's okay. And you use their cups and plates and do their dishes. And like, it creates like thicker fibers of your net of your view of the world. You know, it's like people are good and you can really get to know them and nobody's out to murder you. You know, I think especially Americans have this view of you know, stranger danger, which obviously, you know, operate with caution, but like, it really made me realize like how good people are. Yeah, absolutely. So it sounds like you were living the life of many people's dreams. You were doing the travel blogging, going here and there, not even paying rent. So why did you stop? Oh man. When you put it that way, I don't know. No, listen, (laughs) um, my relationship was definitely coming to an end. We were together for a very long time. And at some point, mm-hmm. you know, there was a lot of like personal things as well. But at some point, especially when you're travel blogging, one really interesting thing that happens is your the way that you experience everything is mediated because I'm not thinking about it for me. Right. I'm immediately thinking about how I'm going to write about it, the pictures we should take in order to cover it. And there's like a separation Mm. from the experience, which was actually after a while, really, really hard because I stopped experiencing anything for myself. And I think Mm. that our relationship became a really business. You know, it was just all the time working. It was really hard to run a travel blog and make money. It's hard and you have to work all the time. And it's like, oh, poor you, you know, you're, you know, in Singapore and you have to work. Yeah, I know, but it does add up and it is exhausting. Um, Mm -hmm. And it it was really hard. And so, you know, we became more of like a professional couple anyway, um, after a while. So we were in Peru and did Machu Picchu. It's amazing. Uh, came back. Mm-hmm. We're, we were mm-hmm. in Cusco and I broke my ankle um, in our hostel. Mm-hmm. Um, they put a welcome mat over a hole um, rather than um, fix oh. it. So I stepped into the hostel and I stepped down onto the welcome mat, mm-hmm. welcoming me. Uh, and I, t- I twisted my ankle and I broke it. And we ended up, that was just kind of like, I broke my ankle. Two days later, we broke up. A week later, I'm living on a futon in my friend's house in Chicago in the middle of winter with a cast on my ankle. Right. Um, and, you know, I hadn't lived in the U.S. for 
15 years at that point. So, you know, it was definitely mm. not how a, a person who plans <laughs> would do it. Um, but at the end of the day, it, it was like, there. We, I was exhausted. I mean, I think it took me years to recover from, especially just like yeah. everything. So, you know, it was definitely time. And then, you know, I stopped run, running the travel blog and all that stuff. So yeah, it was like a whole, a whole, everything broke at once basically. And I ended up back in the States. Yeah. I mean, do you, do you feel like you were running it for too hard for too long? Like you kind of knew that was happening, it sounds like, or maybe, or did you maybe only realize it after you had a, a second to sit back and sit on that futon and realize, oh, you know, we've been, we've been pushing it too hard, but kind of curious because at, at some level you wanted to keep it going, right? I mean, that's the thing is like the beauty of it. And as you say, there's this, oh, poor me, uh, I'm here in Singapore or wherever, Malaysia doing this or that. And, oh, you you know, you get to have this awesome job. But it is, uh, it, or I should say it seems, not that I know, but it seems very challenging, very difficult to keep going. And when you're, we didn't, you don't have that home base, I can only imagine that then it's that much harder to really put a stop to it. So we'll just love to kind of hear your reflection on it. You know, it's really interesting. I had always kind of operated without a net. So I was really comfortable with that. You know, I, I moved around a lot and then, you know, moving into being a nomad only made sense at some point, but it's very singular, you know? Yeah. There, I don't have, I didn't, I mean, of course I had a home to go to. My mother would kill me if she heard me say that. Of course I had a home to go to. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I didn't have like a, a, a place that was my own. Um, so mm -hmm. travel blogging is, it's really hard because I had all these other ideas and they were big. And I think you had to mm -hmm. grow an audience first. And then, and then develop these things. So you're not just covering what you're covering that day, that week about that destination, about that review of the place. You're also thinking about all the ideas that you have and what you want to do. And then, and then also you're planning you know, two months in advance, a house that you just got and um, a country you're going to go to and visas you have to get to go to this other place. And then somebody's talking about Antarctica and you're like, is Anna, am I going to go to Antarctica? I mean, I could go to Antarctica. And you start to, you know, it like never stops all the mm -hmm. possibilities. Mm -hmm. They never stop. It's, you know, it's kind of like a drug in a way. Um, and then it also becomes the pattern mm -hmm. of your life and you don't think about anything else. Um, I don't think I knew I was as exhausted as I ended up mm. being at the end. I mean, while right. I was traveling, I got, right. I had dengue that I had dengue and that, that dengue mm. fever took me down for like a year. It took me to get that back. Uh, I broke my toe, got ran by a cow you know, all, all kinds of stuff. Um, so yeah, it is exhausting, but right. it's, um, <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll tell you that story someday. Um, and it's exhausting, but you, it's also such an adrenaline filled life that it's hard to see why you wouldn't keep doing it, you know, and you're always hoping to make it big. Right. At some point. You right. know, we were doing a lot of real, a lot of, um, we were doing like, um, what do you call them? Like tests or show reels or whatever for, you know, HD TV shows that we're going to launch about like house sitters or, you know, all these different things. You're, you're always putting yourself on camera trying to get on a show or do a thing. And, you know, there was always something to look forward to or, or try for. Right. So how was the adjustment to maybe not that constant stream of craziness and adventure? And uh, yeah, I can imagine that was a, a rough, you know, landing. I'm still not over it. Um, no, I am. It, it just, it's, it's hard. Um, so on the one hand, very, it was very welcome to slow down for a little while, but America is a really hard place to do that in because life is so, it's so mandatory to figure things out because you have to get health insurance 
especially when you have a broken ankle. Mm-hmm. You have to, you know, figure out th- the job situation because there's just no, there's no net, there's no help, and things are really expensive. You know, it's not a cheap place to live if you need things. If you drive a car, which you have to, or you know, all the if you take cabs, you know, whatever it is, it's an ex- expensive, intense place to live. You know, it's not walkable. Uh, in most places, you know, all things. And then when you do right. move to a city that's walkable, like New York, it's a million dollars for your rent. You know, it's, it's not, it's right. not an easy right. <laughs> place to fall down in, you know? And so it was hard to be back. I think it's taken, it took me a long time to process it all. So, and it wasn't until I started to meet, I had never known people that weren't like me. I'd been doing this since I was 19, 20 years mm-hmm. old and everyone was like me. Everyone was an expat or a traveler or doing something or whatever. And it wasn't until I started to meet a lot of people who were like, that's amazing that I was like, oh, yeah, it is amazing. But I didn't know that because <laughs> yeah. it, it just that, that was my gear. You right. know, I just operated in this one gear. Right. So yeah, it, took, yeah. it was a hard adjustment. America is a, a, a tough, tough place. Uh to, to readjust, I have to say. It's a, it's a difficult country. Yeah. So as you discovered that your drive to be abroad and do all this crazy stuff was actually not normal, is that what led you to want to share about it more through writing How to Move Abroad and Why It's the Best Thing You'll Do and also your podcast now called Adventure Calls? Just tell me about yeah. kind of where that came from and, and sharing your inspiration and your stories. Yeah. You know, I didn't um, have any idea that what I was doing was interesting or special or different. I really didn't. And I always also thought like, well, if people wanted to be doing this, they would be, you know? And then Mm -hmm. it's like, I came home and I can't tell you how many people I heard from, especially, you know, Americans. Wow. That's amazing that you did that. You're so lucky. Or, you know, wow, I could never do what you're doing, but I would love to live in Italy or whatever. All these. And I just felt like I could just feel for some reason, I am not a perceptive person. I'm not extremely empathetic. I don't have this like amazing ability to read people, but I could feel these dreams that people were letting die just so they could like have health insurance, Mm -hmm. you know, like, or whatever. It's not only health insurance, but it's a great example. Um, and I was, I was feeling their like prison or whatever. And the fact that they thought I was lucky, I wasn't lucky. I just did it. And that's the difference. I just did Mm -hmm. it. I took the action to do the thing. And so, you know, that started to really become clear to me that there's a lot of people out there who, you know, it's just, a lot of it is lack of information. For some reason, I'm willing to fall on my face. I don't know why. I am a crash test dummy for Mm. this stuff. You know, Mm. I I didn't, especially, you know, I (laughs) recently have been uh, called an OG, which makes me feel old. Uh, And like, she did it before Google, (laughs) someone said. And it's like, yeah, I did. Okay. Yes, I did. Uh, And I didn't have to look everything (laughs) up, you know, but now that there's Google, that's like extra helpful. Damn it. Um, And, but, you know, providing people with information, giving transparency to what it looks like on the other side, helping people understand the process. I realized that sometimes that's just what people need is just like the information, but also, so I wrote the book literally called how to move abroad and why it's the best thing you'll do because I, here is how to do it. You know, I mean, it's just one person's recommendation, mm-hmm. right. Of my, my life abroad. Um, it's not my story. There's my story is woven in there, but it's very, very much a practical, tactical step-by-step book. Um, so how to move abroad, but the first chapter is why it's the best thing you'll do, because I think people know how to do a lot of things. I'm sure I could read a manual on how to fix my car, but I'm never going under the hood ever, ever. Um, I need the inspiration to do right. so. So I started the book off with why it's the best thing you'll do and all the lessons and what you take away from a life abroad. Um, and yeah, I, I wrote the, so I, I wrote this book to give people the, the, the transparency, um, but I didn't intend on doing it at all. Um, I had a 
a life, a day job, you know, lived in Brooklyn, all that stuff. And a, a friend of mine was moving to Austria and she was like, Hey, guess what? I'm moving to Austria in three weeks. And I was like, what? You know, I didn't expect that at all. And she's like, do you have any <laughs> advice for me? And I started to write her an email, left, left the meeting with her. I had already given her more advice than she probably wanted already in the meeting. And then, uh, I'm, I'm walking, I'm, e- I'm emailing her on my phone and there was something about, you know, I was talking to her and I had never been able to like find a voice in myself as a solo mm. writer that I was comfortable with. And there was something about doing it on my phone, writing to her that gave me a voice that I was really happy with. And that email, I actually, it was so long. It was like ridiculous. I brought it into my notes app and for like three or four days straight, like every subway ride I took, everything, I was like writing her this like really long note. And then when she left, I was like, hey, super weird, but I'm going to give you a going away ebook. Um, <laughs> so I basically mm-hmm. wrote her an entire mm-hmm. ebook on everything to think about wow. uh, when moving abroad. And I thought like, uh, Jess, like this is the kind of thing where you're, you know, if you would do it in your free time, it's what you should do for a living kind of things, you know? And I just yeah, realized like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm so passionate about this. Like I gave someone a going away ebook. That's weird. You know, so maybe I should write an actual <laughs> book. And that's what sort of started this whole, this whole thing, because I just realized, so I wrote the book, I worked on it um, for about another year and put it out. And then Adventure Calls, I started, actually started as a response to the pandemic and my fear that we would never travel again. So I, I just started talking to travel mm. experts in my space to think about a post-pandemic mm world. But then when the book came out, I realized what people need is not just the how-to, you know, the how-to is there, but I want people to know people like you, like the other people I have on the show who, who make it happen. And it's not just how, how is a thing. And yes, you have to know how to get a visa in the country you want to move to, but just, you need a team of people around you who are all going for the same dream. Your friends and family, they don't, they're not on your team for this one because they're not doing those things unless they are. And that's amazing. But like, if you don't have people around you, you need a a team of people who are doing what you're doing. I mean, like I said, when I was in Antigua, look at all those people I met who were living these lives and they were like European and living abroad. I don't know if I would have wanted to move to Germany, but I had just met so many people for whom this was a normal way of life that I just went and kept doing those things. You know, if I had never met all those, you know, dirty backpackers when I was 20, would I have become a digital (laughs) nomad? I, I don't know, but I wouldn't turn, I wouldn't give a second of it back no matter what, all the pain and, you know, all the different things that happened to me. And so Adventure Calls is about more about meeting person after person and understanding not just how to do it, but like adding to your own team of people who inspire you uh, to, to do the thing that you really want to do. But here's the funny part to me is that for us, it was so obvious about these people that they're out there because we were these people and we met them on our journeys, right? But at the same time, it really highlights the fact, and, and as you have through your, your comments on it and all of this conversation, that it is not obvious to other people. And so I think it's great that you know you and I and, and plenty of others out there making podcasts that are focused on expat and digital nomad and all these great topics, travel, um, are able to bring that to life and bring and really well shine a light on that and show, hey, this is a this is a life path. Because you know, I was talking to somebody recently, and it occurred to me that. Uh, it was worth mentioning in that conversation that when I was working in investment banking and sitting in my cubicle, hating the life there and daydreaming about traveling or getting my one, uh, one way ticket or my round the tr- world ticket, that this was only me dreaming that nobody else in the office was dreaming about that. And 
it has taken now like 10 years for me to recognize that this is important to highlight, you know, or just for me to recognize to myself. So I think um, it's great to be able to, yeah, as you say, have the inspiration, the why, the how, and then also your, you know, digital virtual team of people to show you how it can be done. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing for me, you know, all of that is to help people make the leap, but there's also this really important next part of this, which is, which is so important to me, which is sort of like the mission behind it all for why I want to, you know, waste my time trying to start something new again, you know, and go through this whole process and marketing a book and Mm -hmm. editing a show and all this stuff is because it also matters when you've, you do live abroad, maybe you live forever, but maybe it's just for two or three years and you come home. But the person that you are when you come back is you are more empathetic. You can look at people from different backgrounds and not just make assumptions or stereotypes like I did in the beginning. And you start to see the world through this like lens of where it's way more open. And especially for Americans, and I do focus on mostly Americans only because there are things that there are roadblocks and mental barriers that Americans have to get through that just like other people just don't. Um, We have taxes and the IRS and healthcare and all these things. But so I I really do focus on Americans. But um we need to be able to default understand that we don't have all the answers that we aren't always right and and understand what like actual like intercultural communication is in this country of the United States even just and it and you know we export americanization you know around the world but we need to import yeah. a lot of the empathy and the multicultural attitudes that exist elsewhere so just the mere fact of living abroad is so important to me Everyone should take a gap year. Everyone should study abroad. Everyone who possibly can in any way they can should go abroad for three years and come home. And I would like to get as many, you know, millions of Americans to do so because just think of the empathetic effect that would have on, on the country, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in a decade or a generation. And so that's kind of what really drives me too. It's like, it's a life path for you, but it's also world changing or at least country, you know, nation changing in the future. Yeah, I agree. And that's been a big part for me as well. It's just, I've seen so many positive benefits. I know the people around me like you and others that have done the same have have felt that. And so if I can help, you know, a handful of other people in my own way to be able to experience that and hopefully have some positive experiences from it as we all, the rest of us have, then I think, uh, you know, it's all worth it, I guess. Yeah, totally. So I know that that kind of wraps up most of your story about, you know, where you've been and what you've been doing so far. So I'd love just to know how you think about the next few years. Of course, it's hard in this current pandemic situation. Nobody really knows what the future holds. But do you have any sort of intentions to try to move back to another country, whether one you've lived before or a new one? Or are you quite, you know, content and enjoying the time in in? Brooklyn, or I guess in New Jersey right now. So, you know, if yeah, you could share, Jersey, share your thoughts. Time. Yeah, that would be great. Um, those are great questions. Yes, no one knows, you know, what the future holds. But I think in terms of a of a real understanding of what, what, what the first half of my adult life was for, you know, what the meaning mm. of it all was. I think I really understand now that this is, this is what drives me and, and mm. helping, helping people in any way that I can in, in this area is what drives me. So um, I definitely have a very clear direction in terms of like, I, I want to take the show as far as it will go adventure calls. Um, there are definitely some other books I want to put out the, and, and, you know, maybe uh, have a masterclass uh, that I'm planning right now. Um, 
that are very specific on the tactics. Um, as a, as you know, mm-hmm. now I'm not only, you know, an LGBT expat if I were to move abroad again, but I also have a family, um, and, you know, moving abroad with mm-hmm. kids. So like family, um, expat families, but then also like queer families who mo- want to move abroad. There's, there's just so many, I could, I could hide if I wanted to, I could pass for straight if I felt unsafe, I could, I could, you know, kind of operate in a really clandestine way. If I, if I didn't want to address the fact that I was gay before as a, as an expat, but now with my, my son looking at me and I want him to be proud of himself, we have to address all of that if we were to ever do those things. Mm. So, you know, really, really learning from other families that are already doing it. Um, but kind of really focusing on that would be, would be another, uh, like in the how to move abroad series would be something I would definitely, uh, I'm looking to cover. Um, and then, you know, telling longer form stories as well. So there are some expats out there that are just so unbelievable and they became unbelievable while abroad. It's, you know, they were, already probably really great people, but man, their stories are unbelievable. And I'd like to find longer form audience, longer form ways to tell those stories, whether it's documentaries um, in the form of like a Netflix series. I'm just putting that out um, in the ether. So uh, if anyone's hearing this, uh, there I am. Um, A podcast, you know, a, a longer form podcast series that's actually, you know, taken in but from a from a network that can help uh, produce those, but I just think that the storytelling uh, aspect of this is really important to me. I love to help people with the tactical, practical. I also do coaching, um, expat coaching, and things like that. Um, so I'm very open to those things. Working with people on a one on one basis brings back all the all the great things I loved about teaching. So I, I actually really mm-hmm. love coaching mm-hmm. because of the same thing, and I and I love helping people one on one accomplish their dreams, um, and but really focusing on storytelling and getting these messages out to a wider audience is is something that's really really important to me for the future. So that's what's keeping me up most nights. Um, and content never. Uh, <laughs> we I, we're good for now, um, especially with the pandemic. But I'll I'll always dream. I'll always dream. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's there's always travel. I mean, <laughs> it helps scratch the itch. And sometimes I think it's a bit even better in a sense that you don't have to deal with all the headache that comes with, um, well, long, really long-term travel or just living somewhere long-term. And you get to really savor it. I mean, when you do city after city after city, it starts to blur. But if you have your like handful of one, two week trips or whatever you can do, especially with the U.S. vacation policy, but you know, whatever you can do, I think, uh, and take away from it, then I think you can kind of squeeze even more joy out of it as well. So there's different paths. Yeah. It doesn't have to be, uh, you know, as we've heard in your story, there's different paths, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that's why building a, a viable business is what's most important to me now, um, where I can decide my own vacation. Because the greatest thing for me about living right. in America is the fact that I don't need a visa. Best thing is to not need a visa. I've never had that before, you know, so it's wonderful to not rely on a visa. But the the just the most heartbreaking thing is the two weeks or three weeks vacation. Um, so, you know, yes. that's a that's that's the, the the goal is to build a business that I can I don't need to take a vacation from and I can turn on and turn off as, as need be. Awesome. That sounds amazing. And I have very similar dreams. So excited to see that happen for you and hope that (laughs) your good fortune, you know, uh, focuses on me as well. (laughs) Yes. Yes. To all of us. To all of us. Exactly. In closing, I'd like to make sure that our listeners know where they can find out more about you. So if there's a good website that we can send them to or social media, be happy to, you know, have you share that now. And of course, put it in our show notes. Yeah, for sure. Um, so my website is my name. So www.jessicadrucker.com. Uh, on Instagram, I'm at Jessica V. Drucker, V 
E as in Valentine, which is my middle name. So you don't forget, uh, Jessica V Drucker on Instagram. And, um, also, you know, I'd love if you're, if you're inspired and you want to buy the book, it's on Amazon, you can get it in paperback or ebook form, how to move abroad and why it's the best thing you'll do. And yeah, I'd love for people to head over to listen to adventure calls. Um, it's my baby. And it's also, uh, the way that you can probably get to know me and my stories the best. So I do one interview with an expat and then, uh, I create sort of an immersive story beforehand. So you get to know the city that they live in. Uh, and I do the interview with them. Um, and then every other podcast is a recall where I tell a story from my own travel. So you can get to know a little bit more about me there. Awesome. Well, I've checked out plenty of the episodes, love the stories, both of the expats as well as your own recalls. So definitely recommend that to the listeners here. And uh, again, we'll put all those uh, links in the show notes. So thank you so much for spending some time with us today, Jess. It's amazing to hear your story and all of its uh, different you know, pieces and parts and how you've created really a life abroad, even as you brought that back to the United States. So thank you for sharing and look forward to hearing about what's coming up for you in the next months and years. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for letting me indulge in my storytelling. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a minute and give us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It helps new listeners find us and lets us know that we are putting out content that you appreciate. You can quickly find out where and how to rate us at ratethispodcast.com slash expatempire. If you know anyone who might enjoy this podcast, please tell them about it so that we can continue growing the global expat empire community. Keep up to date on new expat empire podcast episodes by pressing the subscribe button in the podcasting app of your choice. You can also visit expatempire.com and sign up for the newsletter to get our free ebook, Top 10 Tips for Moving Abroad, right now. We are also on Facebook and Instagram at Expat Empire, so be sure to follow us there. We are currently offering a free 30-minute consulting call to discuss your moving plans and how Expert Empire can help you to achieve them. Please visit our website to schedule your call today. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode in the coming weeks.